Aloha. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. Welcome to The Body Show. Each week we talk about health and fitness, but none of what we discuss replaces a visit to your own primary care provider. Hearing loss, it's something everybody notices as we age, but there may be some things you're doing right now that could promote losing the ability to hear later on. With the ever-improving field of hearing aids, it's also possible to be so discreet about wearing the devices that no one would ever know. Here to tell us more in just a few minutes is Dr. Robin Whelan from Island Audiology. But first, with all the information in the news about the victims of the earthquake in Nepal and the other disasters around the world, people often ask themselves, what can they do to help? Here to share their expertise on the grounds and with their experience is Dr. James Ham, And unfortunately, his colleague, Dr. Monty Elias, is off helping out in Guam, so he couldn't be with us today. But Dr. Ham is, and he is the co-founder and president of Water Hands Hope. Tell me a little bit more about that organization and what they're doing. Well, Water Hands Hope uh, started out as a, more or less a group of three friends. Uh, it was um, kind of stemmed after my first trip to Papua New Guinea. And uh, sorry for the long, drawn-out story, but kind of explains how our organization started. No, so, tell us. I'm curious. Yeah. So, you know, I, you know, I, I, you know, I, I came to Hawaii uh, through the military. I was, uh, uh, you know, working as a brigade surgeon, I guess you call it, more or less the, the head doctor of an engineer brigade up at Schofield Barracks. And, you know, came out thinking, hey, we're going to go to Afghanistan. We're going to go use my emergency medicine trauma skills and go save uh, lives of soldiers. And uh, they kind of diverted us, and they said, hey, we're going to go do humanitarian operations all through the Pacific. So I came up, you know, I kind of came, came across this uh, kind of fell into my lap, and I was kind of kicking and screaming initially, learning about humanitarian operations, going and doing uh, work with uh, USAID courses, with uh, joint humanitarian operations courses in the military, and, you know, ultimately uh, stemmed as being the kind of the head doctor for a um, um, humanitarian exercise in the Philippines. And that's where I kind of learned a lot, you know, obviously um, learning on the job, and then, uh, you know, eventually transitioned to actually do my specialty in emergency medicine at Tripler and, uh, you know, kind of had a what I call, you know, a not quite fulfilling military career, but it was time for me to get out. And, you know, I was looking at options as to where to live and what to do. And I spent my first year out of the military, like a lot of veterans, not just physicians, but a lot of veterans do. And they're kind of wanting to still serve and wanting to still do things in the, you know, but not necessarily be affiliated with the government, the military. So I just took a trip out. I had a friend in, uh, a friend from high school from Centralia, Washington, where I went to high school. His uh, parents had bought, an, a, uh, had bought a coffee farm, a coffee plantation, and uh, they actually started the social business where they wanted to help the people there. And they have a clinic there, and they started some small water projects. And they and this act- was in Papua New Guinea. Yes, yeah, and it was not only in Papua New Guinea. It's in the uh, the rural highlands, in the western highlands, and it's uh, notoriously known for their tribal violence and these uh, – you know, we have 800 different tribes of people and 800 different distinct languages of people because of the terrain. And people are going there, um, you know, hacking each other with these machetes they call bush knives. And, and this was what you said, hey, I want to go there. Yeah, you know. And, well, okay, it was, yeah, you, you say know, that as if know, everybody no, would, it, would yeah. be like, yeah, there's <laughs> tribal violence, 800 tribes, <laughs> machetes, I'm going to go. You know, and, you know, I, I, you know, I went to school, I went to a, a college and residency in Seattle. And, you know, I actually had this fondness for coffee. And actually, that was one of the draws to coming to Hawaii as well was the coffee. And. I was like, hey, Papua New Guinea has some great coffee, too. I'll go oh, check well, it out. Oh, I'll go. Yeah, right. Okay. You know? Right. <laughs> but, uh, you know, so one thing kind of led to another, and I'm, uh, you know, I realized that my, my, my friend's father there, uh, you know, he's an orthopedic surgeon as well, and, you know, he kind of came to the conclusion that, 
you know, we're doing all these things and, you know, these medical oper- medical humanitarian operations where we're going there, we're showing up for two weeks, handing out some medications and coming back. And what are some more sustainable things we could do to help the community out? And so I, you know, I'm, I'm in I'm in the middle of this, uh, you know, this jungle in Papua New Guinea, and it kind of dawned on me that, hey, you know, you know, I'm this army trained emergency physician. I, you know, I feel like, you know, the, you know, I've spent all this time trying to save all these lives and trying to do these amazing things, and I feel like I have uh, all these degrees after my name. And in the end, it's kind of like for what? You know, you're in the middle of the jungle, and people are dying of diarrheal diseases and waterborne illnesses, and you know, what's the what point? What they really need is clean water. Exactly. So it kind of, uh, you know, and, you know, I piggybacked obviously on top of some existing projects and uh, the Rotary Club, you know, uh, this, you know, obviously I'm doing a plug for the Rotary Club because I learned greatly what the Rotary Club is, is capable of doing. And, uh, the, you know, the, they partnered, uh, the Centralia Washington Rotary Club had partnered with the Mount Hagen Papua New Guinea Rotary Club to start these water projects. And they started building these uh, um, water cisterns, which are rain catchment systems and you know, it was just one of those things where it was such a simple idea, but just so massive as to how much of an impact you can make with just uh, with just water. You know, and um, and so you know, all this training I had about you know how to you know read an EKG on uh, to see if someone has a heart attack, how to tell if someone has a stroke, and all these kind of what we call first world problems in medicine that uh, I realized were kind of irrelevant in a place where you know six percent of the kids die before they're five years old. You know, and it's just one of these things where how can I help? And uh, so I came back, and you know, I was at a um, I was at a Super Bowl party with some friends here, and I had actually uh, fortunately was able to go to the University of Washington, and there's a lot of Punahou grads from uh, the University of Washington as well. So I kind of networked with some of them, and I you know came across a couple of friends, and they were like, "Hey, I want to go. I want to learn more about what you're doing there and what we can do." So started out with three people, and then we ended up having about seven of us go last. Uh, August. So my first trip was November of uh, 2013, and then my our second trip was uh, you know this past August of 2014. And you know we brought some friends who actually knew how to build things. We brought some friends who were uh, had a physician assistant, friend Kelly from Tripler, had a, a friend uh, from medical school, Sojin, who's from Los Angeles, who's a family practice doctor. Uh, we had uh, just a good a good group of people, you know, and a couple. We brought a you know a couple of uh, veterans with us as, as well, because you know, and I, I just had this. Um, you know, this thing where I figure if you're going into the middle of the nowhere, it's quite nice to have a Marine with you just in case, right? So you, you know? got this group of people, you went to New Guinea, you started this project, mm-hmm. and at some point you helped them get clean water. Yeah, so we are actually able to uh, partner with uh, uh, some local leaders, and we actually uh, successfully built a uh, rain catchment system for a school. And, uh, you know, at the same time, you know, those of us who are in healthcare were able to go into the clinic and actually help teach the uh, healthcare worker that's there, help kind of, you know, demonstrate, show her some, uh, you know, improve some of her physical exam skills, you know, establish some protocols for her to follow. And also, more, most importantly, actually um, set up a training program for her to go to a local hospital and kind of rotate and shadow and learn. Uh, because obviously the things that I, you know, I learned in my experiences in the military and also my experiences in other humanitarian work is that you really want to do something that's sustainable, you know, and obviously just showing up there and treating some patients isn't the answer. And I think really teaching and making sure we're establishing these things for the long term, I think, is the answer. And ultimately what uh, we have kind of, uh, you know, we kind of told our story again and, you know, it's kind of uh, contagious a, a little bit. You know, I use the term kind of contagious volunteerism a little bit. So having passionate friends and having a passionate story kind of 
was able to kind of get more people involved, and we're really excited about this summer, and we're planning to go in June. And I have a, a, a friend uh, that's at uh, Indiana University. Uh, she's uh, uh, getting her Ph.D. in education and curriculum design, and she wants to actually do – she's planning – already been approved to do her dissertation in the village we're going to be at to actually implement a uh, water sanitation hygiene, what we call WASH, uh, curriculum in this village. And it's very exciting to see that because I personally think that that's – that's going to be the big impact. And in addition to that, you know, some uh, public health programs like water testing and finding kind of the sources of infection, other programs that uh, we're kind of instituting that are more, I think, sustainable are uh, establishing a vaccine, uh, you know, a, a regular vaccine program, also an anti-warming kind of uh, a program where you give like an anti-warm medicine every six months to get rid of some of the worms the kids may have from the bad water. And ultimately, uh, you know, attaching uh, filtration devices to the actual water sources to make sure that you know, that you and I, you know, are able to drink this water. And, you know, obviously what's what's being caught in the rain catchment is safe, but, you know, it's been sitting there for how long? And it's definitely better than the river water, which has all these uh, pollutants in it. But we want actually a source where why can't uh, people, why can't people uh, get what we get here in, 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 in the developed world? So now you're going to be doing that in New Guinea. Yes. Tell me how Nepal fits into yeah, this. Yes. So... So I actually, you know, uh, a really good friend of mine, I think, uh, you know, he's very uh, uh, famous here in the uh, humanitarian um, kind of sector here in Honolulu, uh, Brad Wong. He's the president of Aloha Medical Mission, and uh, he not, he actually was very influential in, in mentoring me and kind of making sure that I was doing the right things and getting the right contacts. And, you know, he actually introduced me to this uh, prosthetic hand called the LN4, and we were able to bring that to Papua New Guinea as well. So that's kind of where the Water Hands Hope kind of name comes from. And... With, he actually introduced me to uh, another group that's going that was that's planning still planning to go to Nepal in October, and uh, last I believe almost a year and a half ago they had gone and they they go every year to um, to Nepal to this village to do surgical missions, and he learned about some of the things that I had done in Papua New Guinea and asked me hey will you, will you come to this village uh, in uh, eastern Nepal and come and help us uh, maybe learn about the water supply and see is there a way for us to uh, start a water project there. So, you know, I kind of, before this earthquake, before all this happened, you know, I'd already gotten my ticket. I was already set to go with Aloha Medical Mission as kind of a, an observer, I guess, and to, and to learn about their water problems. And, uh, you know, the earthquake happened on a Saturday, and Sunday morning I get a call from the uh, leader of the of the mission, uh, this guy, Bikash Gupta, who I had worked with at Kaiser when I was kind of doing some temporary work there. And uh, he called me up and said, hey, we, we desperately need water the people in Kathmandu, the people in uh, the, the earthquake-stricken uh, areas need water. How can you help us? So we had actually, uh, you know, uh, weeks before, we had actually contacted Sawyer, which is a, a company uh, based in Florida. They actually are pretty uh, well-known for their uh, backpacking and kind of camping filter uh, devices. And they actually have a nonprofit uh, wing, I guess, that that works with nonprofits to deliver uh, uh, water filters to kind of the, the developed world. And so I approached them about Papua New Guinea, and I kind of like a light bulb kind of hit. And I was thinking, hey, these water filters that we had, uh, you know, we had bought for Papua New Guinea, we should get them. We should try to send them to uh, to uh, Nepal. And then I realized we only had eight. So how do I get more? So, so now you were able to get more. I think yes. you mentioned that 108 of them were actually successfully hand-carried, and each one produces about 500 gallons of safe water per day for up to 10 years. Now, a lot of people have probably heard your story and are excited to hear about this development of how this all transpired. 
you have an exciting event if people want to know more that's yes. coming up on Monday. So tell us a little bit about that. Yes, the um, you know we're actually partnering with the Society of Nepalese in Hawaii, and uh, their website is sneha.org. And uh, they have been doing several events here, and they actually have, a, obviously, a personal interest uh, in this as well. Because sure, their families, exactly. people they know, villages they came from. Exactly. Sure. So our event, you know, you know, it kind of, uh, you know, we, we actually have a venue. A, uh, there is a, a condo building that's a, a block away from the um, Ala Moana Beach Park where uh, the lantern ceremony will be. Uh, and, you know, so we decided... I think it would be very fitting for people to, uh, you know, to, for us to host an event w- sponsored with uh, Society of Nepalese in Hawaii and kind of, you know, have a memorial day specifically for Nepal, you know. And I think, uh, you know, obviously, you know, at 10 a.m., the, uh, uh, the, uh, the lanterns will be available for people to pick up. You know, it will be a place where people can come and decorate their lanterns. There will be specific uh, people uh, who have uh, stories of their own family and friends who have died in the earthquake and also, you know, uh, there will also be, you know, a, a professor um, at uh, the University of Hawaii who's actually a geophysicist who's Nepalese. And his, his family actually, he grew up in the epicenter where this earthquake happened. And just so happens as a geophysicist, he actually specializes in um, the, uh, the earthquake. In, in the Himalayas. And so if people want to hear about this, where exactly can they get yeah. more information? So it's going to be at the Ko'olani uh, building. It's uh, 1177 Queen Street, and that's right in Kaka'ako, uh, kind of the corner of Waimanu and uh, Pensacola. And there will be plenty of guest parking there. The doors open there at 10 o'clock. Uh, it'll last until about 3 or 4 p.m. Uh, the lecture that uh, that Dr. Uh, Ariel is going to be talking about is uh, on the Himalayan earthquake, and that'll be at 1 p.m. Uh, at the, there's a theater there as well that he'll be doing the discussion at. At 2 p.m., there will actually will be a um, some Nepalese performers do some traditional dance as well. And uh, before all this, so so before all this, it'll be a good time for uh, you know do some uh, like like a little bit of a reception with some light refreshments and some coffee and things like that for people to talk about. You know, there'll be uh, some T-shirts for sale for fundraising. There'll be some uh, also the the Society of Nepalese uh, in Hawaii will be on hand to answer any of your questions directly to see, you know, where some of the funds are going. Because I know there's been a lot of speculation as to where some of the funds are going. Uh, you know, there's also, there, I think there was a story actually on HPR, uh, you know, a week back or so about uh, talking about, you know, possibly the funds aren't going to where they need to go to. So, you know, we need to bypass some of these uh, barriers. And I think definitely uh, uh, they can talk more about in detail as to how they're doing this. And I, you know, personally heard some of the the, the ways that they're doing this. And, you know, I, it sounds like it's, it's um, definitely a, a good organization to actually donate to and make sure that uh, the money is getting directly towards going to. Uh, we're also, uh, as an organization, you know, obviously I'm going to do a plug for the Rotary Club here, Rotary District 5000 here in Honolulu. Uh, they actually are accepting donations as well, and, uh, you know, they're they're working with their sister uh, district in Kathmandu to, to, to direct funds directly. But also there's other organizations like Society of Nepalese in Hawaii who actually have partners, and they also have uh, third-party um, individuals and persons that are making sure that the prices of items that they're buying are actually legit, making sure that the projects are actually happening in the places that are in the most in need. So, so if people want to know more about the Water Hands Hope, mm-hmm. they can go to your website, yes. waterhandshope.org. Yes. If they want to hear more about what's going on in Nepal and the Society for Nepalese, you mentioned that website earlier. Yes, uh, S-N-E-H. I'm sorry, S-N-E-H-A dot O-R-G. 
Okay. And if they want to hear more in person, they can show up at the event on Monday. Yeah. Perfect. Do they need to let anybody know they're coming? Uh, well, we do have a Facebook page. It's uh, you know, it's going to be uh, it's more or less Memorial Day for Nepal. So if you go into Facebook and look up events in Honolulu, it should be listed. Uh, you could also uh, email me personally at james at waterhandshope.org. And I'll be happy to you know talk to you more if there's anybody who's interested in volunteering, whether in Nepal or in uh, Papua New Guinea. Uh, please. They're attracted to coffee. They're not yep. worried about tribal. Exactly. Uh, Tribal violence or anything like exactly, that. Okay. Exactly. So there's a lot of opportunities. So it sounds like really out of this strange roundabout circuitous way, exactly. you found your mission mm-hmm. in New Guinea. Yes. And that same mission looks like it could be used elsewhere around the world. And now look, did you ever think when you were in the military that this would be what you were going to do? Nope. I thought I would be, um, I thought I'd probably be in the military for the rest of my life and kind of uh, retire and uh, have a have a boat somewhere and kind of live this dream of uh, goal of retirement. Now it's one of these things where I've been inspired, actually, by quite a few people. And, uh, you know, I think, uh, you know, I'd like to end with just a real good quote from my friends uh, uh, in in, uh, in Papua New Guinea. And they're, uh, you know, the retired orthopedic surgeon and his wife, and they're both in their late 70s. And they have a really good ter- uh, saying that they say, uh, you know, the most important quarter of the game is the fourth quarter, you know. And so, you know, it's kind of what, you know, I'm trying to, talk to them a little bit more and say, hey, what about the middle part of the game? You know, it's kind of halftime is kind of important too, right? You know, if you have a halftime lead, it's kind of nice to to go into the end of the game with, a, you know, still winning, right? So I'm trying to actually use some of these uh, basketball kind of terms to, to uh, you know, to kind of inspire. And I think um, in the end, you know, I think whatever you can do to help, you know, if people are asking, hey, what if I can just show up for a week or so? Is that important? You know, I think it's not necessarily how much time you spend there. I think it's what you actually do. It's about having intent. So if your intent is to actually really care for these people or wherever they're, you know, wherever project you're at, whether it's home, whether it's, you know, people are asking, hey, what about projects here in Honolulu or in uh on, on Oahu or in other islands, you know, how can we help? So we're actually working with, uh, you know, people who are Hawaiian studies um, majors. Uh, we're working with people who are involved in public health here in Hawaii, and we're trying to find more local-based projects because why should we wait an entire year to go back to Papua New Guinea? Why should we wait for, you know, another, uh, unfortunately, another, you know, earthquake or something like that to happen for us to go work? We should be proactive and find ways to help our, ourselves. And, you know, I think it's just kind of a a different, uh, it's very refreshing, you know, and it's definitely, like I say, it's, it's contagious volunteerism, it's addicting, it's, you know, and once you kind of help that uh, one person out, it's uh, it's very inspiring, and, and you don't have to, like I said, you don't have to be a physician, I'm definitely out there with a hammer sometimes, you know, working, and I think um, there's more than one ways to help, and I think everyone feels like, oh, I'm not a healthcare person, or I don't know how to build things, I think we'll find a, a way for you to help, and I think helping is the answer. All right. I like the way you put that. The most important quarter of the game is the fourth quarter. So excellent, excellent idea. Thank you so much for joining us today. Good luck with the event on Monday and also with all of the adventures that it sounds like you're going to have in Papua New Guinea and Nepal and beyond. You never know where we're going to hear from you next. So we'll have to keep in touch. But thanks so much for telling us about it. And again, if you have more questions about James's story or about what they're doing, you can go to waterhandshope.org. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. You're listening to The Body Show. When we come back, we're going to be talking with Dr. Robin Whelan about hearing aids, about some of the things that you need to know right now to help preserve your hearing as time goes on for that fourth quarter we were just talking about. If you want to join us, you can at 941-3689, toll-free neighbor islands 877-941-3689. We'll be right back. Stay with us. 
Pulitzer Prize-winning novelist Jane Smiley, now a California resident, returns to Iowa in her 2014 novel, Some Luck, the first in a trilogy that spans 100 years. If I've got five kids to talk about, some of them are going to move away from the farm and head out into the world. You know, if I started them in Los Angeles, they might never go anywhere but the beach. Jane Smiley, next time on New Letters on the Air. Tuesday evening at 6.30. On the next morning edition, a look at the growing heroin crisis and its roots in another epidemic, addiction to painkillers like OxyContin. People would get addicted to the pills. Frequently, the doctor would cancel the prescription. And so heroin is the fallback drug. I'm Renee Montaigne. We'll tell you how heroin spread across rural America starting on the next morning edition. Weekday mornings from 5 to 8.30 on HPR One. Support for The Body Show comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund, which helps Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk show programming. Mahalo to contributors Straub Clinic and Hospital, Infinity of Honolulu, and Gourmet Events Hawaii. Aloha. Welcome back to The Body Show. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak here in the studio with Dr. Robin Whelan. She is from Island Audiology, and she's got in front of her some show-and-tell hearing aids. But... You know, before we talk about hearing aids, let's talk about hearing. Robin, everybody knows you hear with your ears. But there's a business part of the ear that you can't really see. Even I can't necessarily see it in the office. Tell me a little bit about the business part of the ear and and how the eardrum relates to that. And what is the normal process of hearing before we talk about how in that final quarter... Sometimes it doesn't work as well. Sure, sure. And thank you for having me on your show. Oh, well, thanks for being on. So actually, sound goes into the ear canal and goes through the eardrum, and then little tiny bones that then transmit the sound to the inner ear, where we have thousands of microscopic cells that pick up the sound and send it to the brain. So our ears are actually responsible for picking up the sound, but it's the brain that's actually interpreting what is being said. And it is important to have two ears working together because the brain is able to filter out background noise when you have two ears working together. Also locate sounds in space to know which way to look when someone calls you and uh, helps filter out the, the message. So without two ears working together, the brain has a harder time understanding. So we've got two ears. They need to work in stereo if possible. Your brain can interpret these messages that come through the eardrum and actually there's bones in there that help do stuff. Right. They can transmit the sound from an acoustic sound that you and I are hearing into um, into where the cells are then sending the message down the auditory nerve up to the brain. So there's a nerve involved, the auditory nerve, and it actually sends messages to the brain so that we can interpret what we're hearing. So we know the difference between a sound of something serious versus, hey, you know, I just dropped my pen, just just a different kind of a sound. So, okay. And you're born with pretty good hearing. Does hearing develop over time? Do you get born with perfect hearing? And then it kind of, I don't want to say it goes down from there, but okay. Well, there are different uh, causes of hearing loss. So Ideally, we're born with normal hearing, but we do live in a noisy world. So buses going by, loud music that we may listen to, um, you know, for around construction, if we have a noisy job around a lot of heavy equipment, that can always damage the inner ear cells. Um, And once that damage is done, it's typically not reversible. So So, it's gone, it's gone. Right. You can't get it back. You can't eat enough vegetables or take enough vitamins 
No. Gone is gone. Correct. Okay. So it is very important to prevent hearing loss. Um, so if you are around a lot of loud noise, you know, hearing protection is the way to go. Um, the OSHA regulates that if you're around 90 decibels for eight hours, you want to wear earplugs. 90 decibels pretty darn loud, though. I mean, you're talking about a subway going by. Um, you know, a rock concert might be 120 decibels. Um, even a smoke alarm, 85 decibels. Could you, like, if you just so happen to be around, like, let's just say a rock concert, and it's really, really, really loud, could you have damage that occurs that's permanent to those ear cells just from that one event? Or is it repetitive exposure that gets people in trouble? Actually, both. Some people... Oh, well, that's good news. Okay. <laughs> both. Some people can get hearing loss from shooting a gun one time or from going to a loud concert one time. Um, but repeated exposure to loud noise or, you know, long hours of softer noise levels can actually do damage, too. So it's, again, damaging those cells inside the inner ear. And once you lose them, they don't come back. Um, if you've ever gone to a loud concert and your ears are ringing afterwards, that's not a good sign. That's actually a sign of temporary hearing loss. Hopefully that ringing will go away. The cells will recover once you're back in quiet situations. But that is a definite sign of ear damage. Now, we hear about ear ringing a lot, and maybe not just temporary from a rock concert, but people who, as they get older, feel like they have a ringing in their ears. Is that temporary? Is that a sign of progressive hearing problems? Does it ever go away? It usually is a sign of ear damage. Basically, when you have ringing in the ears, that's called tinnitus or tinnitus. Either way is accepted. Potato, potato. There you go. Right, okay. right. Um, so the ear is sending a false signal to the brain, even if there's no sound around. So you might think of if you lost an arm, you may have like a phantom uh, pain in your arm, even though it's not there. Same idea with the tinnitus, where it's a phantom sound. Um, the, because the system is damaged, the brain is trying to fill in the blanks, and so it's perceiving a false sound. Um, if you do have ringing in the ears that's never stopping, uh, you know, that is obviously a very aggravating occurrence. Um, it can be very distracting. It can prevent you from sleeping well. But uh, things to keep in mind if you do have constant tinnitus are that uh, things that can make it worse, caffeine, nicotine, stress, salt, some medications including aspirin and noise. So there we are back again at trying to reduce the, the level of sound that you're around. Wow. Okay. So I see a lot of kids these days and they have on these little earbuds and there's all these different ways that you can put music directly in your ear. Is that a bad idea? Unfortunately, yes. Um, I mean, you put a hearing aid in your ear. Why can't you put an earbud in your ear? But does wearing the earbud make things so loud that, you're, that you have hearing problems and sooner or later you'll need the hearing aid in your ear? Great question. Um, regular headphones that you get typically don't seal the ear very well, so the sound can leak out. So that's where you're listening to your music and you're thinking, ugh, I need more bass. So you turn up that volume. Well, you get more bass out of it, but you're also then subjecting yourself to loud levels of sound. Um, a solution for that, uh, you know, we do have volume limiters on the iPod or maybe even the headphones themselves can limit how loud the sound can get. But more importantly, you want to keep the sound in. So a lot of people, once they get headphones that do have a good seal to their ear canal or even custom in-the-ear monitors, they're able to turn their levels of sound down pretty significantly. So then they're able to enjoy their music, but at a safer volume. Does it make a difference 
earbuds versus around the ear kind of headphones like we have on now? Main thing is just to not to turn it up too loud. Um, so either way is acceptable. Right, right. Okay. But, you know, there again, you want to keep the sound in. A good rule of thumb is if someone's next to you and they can hear your music very easily, then it's probably set too loud. You can just ask them, hey, can you hear it? But if they have hearing loss, I don't know. You might not. <laughs> it's, hard, it's hard to say. Okay, so turn things down. Don't have things be so loud. And if you do work in a loud environment, try and modify that in some way. Where Now, earplugs, are they effective? They can be effective if they are worn properly. So some people will wear the So presume earmuffs. I don't know how to wear earplugs. Okay. How do I wear them properly? Well, if you're talking about the foam earplugs. Yeah, like those little orange ones or green ones you can buy at right. pharmacies. Okay. Right, yeah. So that way um, you would be rolling it up. Um, it's Think of it as a cylinder. So you're rolling up the, the long part to fit into your ear canal. The best way to put that in is to keep it squished as much as possible, and then you can pull your ear back with one hand and then slip it into your ear canal, hold it in place until it actually expands to fill your ear. If it seems to pop out, try it again. Um, some people have very small ear canals. You can sometimes cut one of those earplugs in half lengthwise, and then that'll fit into a smaller ear canal. But there are also custom solutions where I could take a mold of your ear and then we could order a product that's custom made for your ear so that it slips in nicely, seals properly, keeps that sound at a safe volume for you. Wow. So you could actually custom make earplugs. Yes. In addition to hearing aids, which generally do have to be custom made and fit. So what about... You know, we talk about having people who turn on a lot of loud noise. What about other exposures? You know, when I think about earplugs, I think about swimming and people who get a lot of ocean water in their ear. Big deal, not a big deal? It depends on the person. Some people have a harder time getting the water out of their ears. Is so that why, like, you turn your head and you're like, the ocean's in my head. I hear <laughs> it. That's because the water got behind the eardrum? Usually it's not behind the eardrum, but especially if you have a smaller ear canal, you do have curves to your ear canal. So it's just kind of hanging get, out in there? Right. And especially if you have wax blockage in your ear, then that can hold the water in even more. But there are earplugs that will keep the water out. So we have a lot of surfers or snorkelers or just swimmers that will use the custom earplugs to keep the water out. So it keeps their ears nice and dry and also can help protect from, you know, if, if you're around loud noise later on, it's kind of a dual purpose earplug. Sure. And also I would imagine... Depending on where you're swimming, there could be some infection involved. You never know. True, true, okay. yeah. Keep the dirty water out of those ears. <laughs> Definitely try. So so ways that we can protect the ears. We talk about sound. Um, you mentioned earwax just a few moments ago. Is it safe to remove earwax? Why do Are certain products safe? You know, I see people who sometimes say they use, like, this candle wax thing, which to me just sounds kind of scary, or, like, little scrapers. What's going on with wax, and why are we obsessed with it? Well, wax is a natural thing. It helps keep the bugs out of our ears. A lot of people don't realize that. So there's a purpose for it. Wax is good. Right, but excessive wax can be a problem because, okay. you know... It can cause hearing loss. It can make you think you need a hearing aid, but you really just need to get the wax out. Sure, yeah. If you have excessive wax buildup, removing that can be a big difference where, hey, I can hear again. But, uh, but actually, the skin in the ear canal grows outward, so it naturally pushes the wax out. So we really don't need to be digging in our ears to try to get it out. If you are a person that 
accumulates a lot of wax, then you're probably best served by seeing your physician, audiologist, or ENT doctor to get that wax removed. Some people have to get it removed every three to six months because they have so much buildup. But don't be putting some sort of candle wax in your ear. I would not recommend Have you heard about that? that? I've seen pictures and I'm like, oh, I'm so grossed out. But really? I would not recommend it. For one thing, you have a flame two feet yeah, above your head. That's true. So, yeah, that's that's not too safe. But actually, there has been research that's been performed that has found that it doesn't actually get enough wax out. It's more of the wax of the candle that you're getting. So, like, wax to go after wax is not going to work? No. All right. And then those little scraper thingies, don't go there. Please be careful. Um, yeah, I've got some patients that say, oh, yeah, my wife used one of those and scraped it out of my ear. But you got to consider that you need to look in the ear first, see what you're dealing with. And that's done with a high power light and magnifier. So you want your doctor or your audiologist to do that for you. Well, and my other thought is, you know, when you get it, if anyone's ever had an ear canal infection, that's when it's not really in the ear. It's in that canal area. That can happen when you get a scrape in the ear canal. That can happen when you put your finger in there like you shouldn't. Right. Or even if you just get a little too aggressive with a Q-tip, those infections hurt. They really hurt. I've had them. Ow, they're really horrible. So that alone is enough to never want to do that because that sort of an infection Boy, you know it. You pull in your earlobe and it hurts like you would not believe. So, you know, that should be a deterrent enough. Um, you can treat it with eardrops, but still, if you've, if you've ever had this happen, you know what I'm talking about and you know you don't want that again. So people should not really put, use Q-tips and put them in their ear. Again, Just good don't rule do of it. thumb, nothing smaller than your ear than your elbow. So, you yeah, know, I've you- heard that before and somebody <laughs> said, really, that means nothing in your ear. And I went, I think that was kind of the point. Exactly. So, yeah, try not to use Q-tips. You know, if you're just barely touching the, uh, you know, opening of the canal to get water out, maybe after a shower, not a big deal. But you certainly don't want to be digging in there. The skin in the ear canal is very sensitive, can scratch easily, and that, like you were mentioning, can lead to infection, which is a big problem. If you have chronic infections, can that lead to hearing loss? Certainly. Uh, A lot of times we'll have ear infections where fluid is blocked behind the eardrum. So it's not draining into the throat. So we get a lot of pain and pressure behind our eardrum. And that can certainly lead to temporary hearing loss. If you have chronic ear infections, sometimes that'll thicken the eardrum. And actually, sometimes it can cause further hearing loss in the inner ear. So there's a there's a bunch of considerations. So if you can try to prevent an ear infection, that's definitely a good thing. Now, here in Hawaii, people fly all the time. And, you know, there's a lot of people who are flight attendants. And they always mention that if they get any sort of a sinus infection and it goes to their ear, they really can't, they can't do their job. They can't actually go up to altitude. If anybody has an ear infection, is it safe for them to get on a plane? Or should they really try and avoid that, if at all possible? There, it depends on the person. Some people are able to equalize the pressure by yawning, chewing gum, and then they're okay. But if, if you've got a severe ear infection, then yeah, that altitude change is going to be very bothersome for you. If you burst an eardrum, what happens? What's the worst thing that happens? The worst thing could happen is that the eardrum cannot be repaired. So it doesn't uh, grow back. Right. Because the eardrum, you might think of a thin piece of skin where it will grow back in most instances. But if it doesn't, then you have a hole leading into where those little bones are. That can lead to further infection and more hearing loss. So if you don't have an eardrum, then the sound isn't transmitted into the inner ear where we actually hear. So if you don't have an eardrum, are are you deaf? 
usually not deaf. The maximum loss you could get from a an total eardrum loss would be about 55 or 60 decibels, which so is still very significant. Considering what's a normal number of decibels? I mean, if I if I have 5,000 and I lose 55, well, okay. If I have 100 and I lose 55, that's a big difference. So what's the normal decibel ability of the ear to hear? Well, for now, decibel, that's related to the, like the volume. So okay. we consider normal hearing to be about 0 to 25 decibels. Okay. And then mild hearing loss, 30, 35, 40 decibels. And then it continues further into moderate, severe, profound. But a profound hearing loss is considered 90 decibels. So that's where you would consider someone completely deaf. So if you lie, 55 to 60 is still a huge amount. Definitely, especially considering that normal conversation is about 50 decibels. So that would mean you would need a hearing aid. Definitely. All right, we're going to talk about those little demonstration products you have because they look sort of interesting and, and somewhat ominous. I find it very curious, though, that, you know, hearing aids and batteries and all these sorts of things, they require a lot of a lot of dexterity to change. If anyone has ever wondered how big is a hearing aid battery, it is really darn small. And to expect people when they're older who may have visual problems or dexterity problems to actually get a battery in these things, it is not the easiest task, I have to say. Why are they so small? Well, it can be a challenge. Part of the reason the battery is small is because the hearing aid itself is a lot smaller and more cosmetically appealing than they used to be. There's that double-edged sword. It actually is right. smaller, so you don't notice it, but then you got to be able to stick a battery in there. Right. And there are ways to, to help you do that. There's a little tool with a magnet on the end of the sticks to help you put the battery in and out and change it. Um, but you must consider, too, that you're changing a battery in a hearing aid maybe anywhere from 5 to 14 days. So it's not something you're having to deal with every day, and it does get easier the more you practice with it. So when you get a hearing aid or hearing aids, we sit down and really make sure you understand how to use them, how to take care of them and everything. All right, lots of things to learn. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak here in the studio with audiologist Dr. Robin Whelan. And when we come back, we're going to be talking a little bit more about hearing aids. How do you get one? What is the process? Do you get a hearing test first? And and which ones are the best ones? And is there a better one for certain people than others? We're going to hear a lot more about hearing aids. We're literally going to hear about it. Uh, but you can always join us at 941-3689, toll-free neighbor islands, 877-941-3689. We're going to be talking more about how do you know where to get your hearing aids and what do you do if they stop working other than change the battery, which... It's not that easy. I'm telling you, it's difficult. We'll be right back after this quick break, and we're going to talk some more then. Please join us. The new documentary, Shake the Dust, takes a look at breakdancing and the special influence it has on the inner city slums of the world. I was trying to tell a story about everyday kids in these places and give them a microphone to say what they wanted to say. A conversation with the director on the next Marketplace from APN. This evening at 6, following The Body Show. You're fond of Dickens? Why, yes, of course. More than fond, far more. You see, they are the only books I have ever heard. Obsessed by Dickens. This week on Selected Shorts. From PRI. Public Radio International. Tuesday at 5 p.m. following Travel with Rick Steves. 
Support for The Body Show comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund, which helps Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk show programming. Mahalo to contributors Nohea Gallery and Kaiser Permanente. Welcome back to The Body Show. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak here in the studio with Dr. Robin Whelan from Island Audiology, and we're talking today about hearing and hearing aids and what causes hearing loss and how you can prevent that so that as you get older, you hopefully can continue to hear pretty well. If you want to join us, if you've ever had hearing aids, if you wondered how often should you get them cleaned, how do you manage these things? These are questions I've always wondered. But you can join us at 941-3689, toll-free neighbor islands, 877-941-3689. Now, Dr. Robin, let's talk a little bit about hearing. If somebody thinks that a loved one or maybe they themselves have been told, I can't hear you, honey, you need a hearing aid, what should they do? How do you go about doing a hearing test and, and getting a hearing aid? What is that process? Great question. Um, most people can just call and schedule. If you do have an HMO, that would need a referral from your primary care physician. But I, I do want to emphasize it is important to go to an audiologist. Okay. Uh, you know, there's doctors of audiology with eight years of university training. They're qualified to bill your insurance <clears throat> and they have dual licenses for audiology and hearing aid dispensing. There are technicians that sell hearing aids, but they only have to have a high school diploma or equivalent. Um, they're actually not qualified to bill your insurance, and they don't have continuing education requirements. So, you know, even with the best intentions, the audiologist has more skill and will better suit your needs. So um, get an audiologist. Definitely. Okay. Definitely. You can call them up, and you don't need to have somebody say, like your doctor say, hey, you have to get a hearing aid. You can go visit them and get tested to find out if you even need one. Right. And if okay. nothing else, it's good to get a baseline. May is better hearing month. So, hey, everyone, go get a hearing test. It's actually Call not up your audiologist. Idea, right. Absolutely. If not, yeah, if nothing else, to get a baseline, know where you stand. Um, but especially if you're finding that people are mumbling, they just sound like they're muffled, or people are having to repeat to you, you're having more trouble in background noise. Or, or your maybe, neighbors say, turn down the volume of your television. You got it. That's all signs that you should go get a hearing test. Um, so we have a four-step process where first I'll sit down with you, have a conversation about your hearing health, potential hearing difficulties that you might be having, uh, situations where you'd like to hear better. And then secondly, I'll look in the ears, make sure there's no physical obstructions like earwax, and then also do a test of the eardrums to make sure that's healthy and there's no signs of ear infections or holes in the eardrum. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, then you'll go into the sound booth and respond to words and tones at different frequencies and volume levels. Yeah, I kind of remember when I was younger, you know, I used to have chronic chronic troubles with, with ear infections. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I remember doing these hearing tests when I was younger. And, you know, could you hear it? You raise your hand. Which ear do you hear it from? I always felt like it was a big exam and I was going to be in trouble if I <laughs> failed it. You know, I'm like, oh, no, I can't get an F. I was one of those obsessive, obsessive kids. But, you know, the hearing test, actually, you, you're sitting in a quiet space. And what they're trying to do is figure out what kind of decibels of hearing can you hear, like really low sounds, really high sounds, and where is your hearing? If you have any loss, where is that focused? Now, is there a certain expected amount of, of decibel range loss as you get older? Well, age can definitely be a factor where the older we get, the more birthdays we have, the more chance of, of hearing loss. And actually, there's 60 million people 
adults in the U.S. that have hearing loss. So do you lose the super high frequencies first or the lower frequencies, or it could be a little bit of both? Typically, the high pitches go first. Um, so the, the low pitches are the bass. That's where we perceive the volume of sounds. The high pitches are the consonant sounds. That's what give us clarity. So again, if it sounds like people are mumbling, most likely it's because of a high-frequency loss, where those sounds just don't travel well. Even if you're talking face-to-face, you might still have difficulty understanding. And if you're in a noisy background, the noise tends to cover up that clarity of the signal, those high-pitched consonants. So, you know, after we do all the testing in the sound booth, we'll sit down and talk about your results and possible solutions. Um, most patients, or I'm sorry, in most cases, the, the results confirm the complaints that the patients have. So the good news is we've been able to help a lot of patients hear better again with amplification or hearing aids. Um, they just needed a little boost. So when we talk about hearing aids, how bad does your hearing have to get for you to need a hearing aid? Great question. Um, and that can be kind of a subjective thing. I've had patients in my office where they are having to have their wife or husband yell at them, and they're thinking, yeah, I can hear fine as long as they yell. They're not motivated to hear better. Similarly, or on the other hand, I might have someone that has a mild hearing loss, but they're greatly affected by their hearing and are really struggling. So motivation is a big factor. If you're having to lean in to hear people, if you're having them repeat, and it's, you know, it can be actually emotionally, physically, mentally draining to have to try hard to hear well. Again, your brain is trying to fill in the blanks of when you're not hearing. So that can be pretty fatiguing. Now, if you only have hearing loss in one ear, can you just like always turn your good ear to the person talking? I mean, is that an okay solution? Or really, because your brain likes to hear from both sides, you should try and correct it to be equal? You should try to be able to hear in both ears. I mean, sometimes it's physically impossible. If you've, you know, had a tumor on one side and that nerve is severed, there's no way of bringing that hearing back. But uh, optimally, if we can get hearing in both ears, you're going to do better in those noisy backgrounds. And again, we live in a noisy world. So some people, you know, that are having to depend on one ear, they might do okay in a quiet room. But anytime there's a group situation or if they're in a restaurant, it's going to be a real struggle and, and again, very fatiguing for them. There is a time when hearing aids just don't work anymore. If you lose that much of your hearing, is it ever too late? Well, uh, for those that don't benefit from hearing aids because their hearing loss is so severe or profound, actually, uh, there's cochlear implants. And that's a surgically implanted device that can stimulate the auditory nerve bypassing the inner ear. Um, there's a lot of requirements in getting that device, but uh, but you do have to try hearing aids first in order to qualify. But the good news is, gee, you know, I've been working with hearing aids for 18 years, and so many advances in the technology have taken place. Even in the last three or four, I'm just really amazed at the improved sound quality, uh, feedback cancellation, so they're not going to whistle like maybe Uncle Joe's used to. Um, and, uh, you know, the, the sound quality, the noise cancellation, trying to figure out where the sound is occurring, because basically each hearing aid is a computer in your ear. So it's constantly monitoring the sound and trying to figure out how loud to make things, whether it's soft, medium, loud. And actually, if it's a really loud sound, say a fire truck siren going by, it's actually going to reduce that sound so it's not uncomfortable for you. So again, like little computers on your ears. Another advancement in the technology, too, is that they're compatible with your smartphone. So basically, your hearing aids become your Bluetooth headset. Really? 
Yeah, so you can... So you can actually use your hearing aids as a Bluetooth headset for your smartphone. Right. So That just blew me away. I mean, (laughs) I realized that that's, you know, like, of course you can because it's a hearing aid. Why wouldn't you want to hear stuff in your ear from your cell phone? But, wow. And hearing aids are a lot smaller than that big clunky Bluetooth headset that you might buy from a store. So the advantages of having it go through your hearing aids is then the sound is programmed for your exact hearing test results, giving you the amplification where you need it to make that phone call come in a lot more comfortably and clearly than if you had just put it up by your ear. Now, not every hearing aid does this. There's one specifically designed to work with a Bluetooth Right. Yeah. A lot of them are are Bluetooth capable, though. So that would be something where I would sit down with each patient and figure out what their specific needs are in knowing, hey, do they have a smartphone? Are they they on their phone a lot of time? Do they need to have that extra capacity? Okay. So now there's different types of hearing aids. What are the basic differences in hearing aids? Uh, The biggest difference is how well they're able to bring down the background noise. So the ones that are more sophisticated have more advanced processing algorithms to bring down that noise the best possible. Um, You know, there are some that are basic and they're still very good, but you just have to have the right kind of expectations. If you get something that's a little bit more basic, then one-on-one conversations should be fine. But when you get into that group scenario or you go to that restaurant, it may be more difficult for you to hear. The good news is there's also accessories to help people with basic hearing aids hear well in noise. You can have something like a companion microphone, just a little lapel microphone that they'd have on their collar. And when the person is using that, their voice can go right into the person's hearing aids. So it's as if someone's right next to their ear talking. So that can really help in a restaurant where, say, you're sitting across the table from the person you want to talk to and you're just still struggling. So you give them the little microphone. Exactly. And then they're able to say what they need to say. Right, okay. right. Or when the server is taking your order and asking you questions, hey, talk into this. That can definitely help, sure. Now, there's all different, there's different types. So you said there's basic ones and there's super fancy ones. So super fancy might be Bluetooth capable. Do they have noise canceling headphones, I mean, hearing aids? I mean, they have noise canceling headphones. And the mm-hmm. technology is really interesting that you cut out all the background noise. Do they have that technology for hearing aids? Well, the biggest thing is that it reduces the background noise. So whereas if you have like the headphones that cancel the noise out, you're plugging off the ear so that no other sounds are coming into your ear. You've got a headphone covering your ear. But with the the hearing aids, it's detecting that there's noise there for all different levels of technology. And it's trying to reduce it at the different frequencies where they occur. So you'll still hear that there's noise if it's present. We can't completely get rid of it or we'd get rid of the voices that you're trying to hear too. So you cancel them out, which would kind of be the opposite of what you want to do. Right. So You might want to cancel external noise, not necessarily the voices you're trying to talk with. Right. But there are um, directional microphones. So we've really gone away from the clunky in-the-ear style that looks like a piece of chewing gum in your ear. And we've gone more to this over-the-ear style that has um, just a thin tube that channels the sound into the ear, maybe has a little plastic dome on there, or maybe a custom earpiece, depending on what your needs are. Uh, But the main uh, feature here is where you have two microphones at the top of each device, and that can help separate the speech from the noise when you're in that noisy restaurant. Um, you know, so it'll try to figure out where it's occurring. Noise isn't always behind you. So that's where the advancements in the technology are really trying to pinpoint where that noise is, reduce that. And also that 
advanced processing algorithm is trying to figure out, hey, is it speech? Is it noise? Is it music? What is it that I should be amplifying? What should I be reducing? So it's almost as if the hearing aids are smart. <laughs> yeah, it's like smart hearing aids, smartphones, smart hearing aids. Now, you know, when people first get hearing aids, do they have to sort of ease their way into it? Or should you just wear it all the time, just all the time, just just do it? Probably easing into it is a, is a better idea. Um, we actually put patients on a wearing schedule at first. So maybe build up the number of hours you wear them each day. Typically after about a week, you're wearing them all day long. But uh, it is a shock to the system sometimes, depending on the level of, of hearing loss. So you might think of it as being in a dark room where someone turns on a bright light. Whoa, it's a little bright. It's shocking. Same idea with the hearing aids. So we're trying to ease into it stimulate that brain gradually and get it to where we end up reaching those targets for your needs. But uh, there's a bunch of measurements that we do and a bunch of changes that we can make too. So when you first go out in the real world, we have you come back a week later. Hey, tell me what was too loud, too soft. Those are things that I can adjust on the computer because these digital hearing aids are adjustable. Um, and uh, Typically, after the, a couple of follow-up visits, we've got it optimized for each person, and they're able to hear well in, in different scenarios. So that's an important point, uh, a couple of them, actually. So the first thing is that, yes, you should wear it all the time, because part of what I've heard is that the brain needs to get used to hearing all the sounds that it didn't used to hear before, like the bright light you talk about. So if you only wear the hearing aids when you think you need it intermittently, you might still have that whole that whole getting used to it episode again and again and again. And your brain may never be able to to actually get to that point where you can wear them comfortably and filter out that noise yourself. Right. So if you need hearing aids, you should wear them as much as possible. But the other thing you mentioned is that they can really be personalized. And then after you wear them for a week or so, you can figure out what was too loud, what noises were too much, and actually make some digital adjustments to that. I don't know if people realized that you can adjust them after you get them. Right. And like I said, they're like little computers on your ears. So there's so many modifications that we can do in the office to really fine-tune them for each individual. And plus, everyone has different preferences for loudness. Some people, you know, I could have three people with the same test results, and one person likes it a little soft, one person a little loud. You know, everyone's viewpoint there is subjective. But to your point of how often you're wearing them, it is very confusing if you wear them and then don't wear them. That's confusing to the brain. So it is best if you start to acclimate to the sounds maybe at home where it's quiet, you have a controlled environment. Get used to those sounds gradually, then build up the number of hours you wear them, moving into noisier places. Certainly, I wouldn't recommend someone that just got hearing aids to go to the mall food court. That would be entirely too much for the brain to handle. That would be too loud, and they would think, ugh, all I hear is the background noise. Well, of course, because everything is new. So gradually easing into it is definitely the way to go. Now, how often should you get your hearing aids checked? Let's say you have a good pair of hearing aids. You think you're doing pretty well. Is it something where you need to get new ones every few years? Or do you wind up getting them cleaned every few months and then reassess? Or do they last forever? What's, sort of the, what's the general sort of replacement amount of time? And what kind of care do you have to take care of in the meantime? Sure. Yeah, hearing aids typically last about five years, sometimes longer if you take good care of them. But since you are... Since they are computers, 
that technology there's a lifespan, kind of like change. your phone. Exactly. Okay, things get advanced and better. You might want a newer model. I love the Bluetooth idea. I think that's cool. But okay, right. But uh, once you get devices, we recommend our patients to come back every three to six months, so I can get my hands on the devices, check them out, make sure that they're in good functioning order to keep that person hearing well. Because hearing loss is kind of a silent problem. Um, Literally, yeah, you can't hear it because you lost it. Okay. Right. So you know, especially if something starts to fade out over. Over time, the person with the hearing loss may not realize that. So that's where we want to do a few checks on the devices, make sure they're not affected by moisture, you know, humidity, um, and clean them up, make sure they're in good working order to keep everyone hearing well. But, uh, but yeah, uh, it's a good idea to wipe them off every night when you take them out of your ears before bedtime. If there is a little bit of wax on there or moisture, it's good to take that off. Um, opening the battery doors is a definite need where you're not only prolonging the life of the battery by opening that battery door, but also you're letting the device air out. So electronics don't like moisture. The humidity in the air and also having something in our in our ears or on our ears where it might be subjected to the sweat of our, or oils of our skin, we want to let them air out. So you should take them out when you go to bed. Yes. And when you take them out, you should open up the battery door. Right. So that they don't like make that loud noise the whole time. That too. <laughs> but also so that it can kind of dry them out, all that kind of stuff. Don't get them wet. Don't wear them in the shower. Mm-hmm. Bad idea. Right. Or swim in them. <laughs> don't swim with them. Put on your, your other earplugs when you're swimming. So in that sort of a situation, they might last about five years. People should come in periodically. And if the hearing gets worse, do they need to eventually get a different hearing aid? Well, that's where we recommend hearing tests every year. Just like we get our eyes checked every year, we want to check our ears too. And when there's a change in the hearing, we can hook those hearing aids back up to the computer, make some changes to optimize them again for that new hearing loss. Um, so as so you far might as not need new ones. You might be able to use the same ones. Especially if, if the hearing changes and the hearing aids are just a few years old, definitely. We can, we can make them work. Um, but once they're beyond five years, usually the parts start to break down. And more importantly, you'll notice a difference in the sound quality when you move to new ones. So you, with all that new technology, you'll be just blown away with how much better it gets. Right, right. That's the idea. So now if people are concerned, they should contact an audiologist. They should schedule an appointment. You don't need any approval unless you're in some type of an HMO. And if then, you know, I can imagine why I would say, no, you can't go get your hearing test because that's important. So, okay. So then they would need to do that. And then they could actually get hearing aids from the audiologist who has an idea about all these different types of different options for people in the technologies and then can actually help them make some choices and set up their hearing aid to to make that device work best for the person and then personalize it. Right. Check right. in every few months. Exactly. So, you know, a good audiologist will really sit down with you and talk to you about what you need, you know, what you need out of it. It's not a simple solution where you just pull something off the shelf, one size fits all. Everyone is unique, and there's different hearing aids depending on the configuration of hearing loss, the ability to hear in noise, different demands that each person might have. Well, it sounds like if you need a good audiologist, Robin, I'm going to come to you if ever I have hearing loss because, you know, someday it may happen. So I want to thank you for sharing your expertise with us today. Dr. Robin Whelan is from Island Audiology and is an audiologist who can help you with all your hearing needs. If you'd like to hear the show again, you can go to our website, hawaiipublicradio.org. Engineer David Chong, executive producer Beth Ann Kozlovich. We'll see you next week right here on The Body Show. Mm-hmm.